Did you really drag me in here to listen to another one of your podcasts? Dude, you're embarrassing me in front of the wizards. Want a juice box and some string cheese? <laughs> Do you really have that? Fourth wall break inside a fourth wall break. That's like 16 walls. Flawless victory. Mother? What's wrong with me? Darling, I don't have to answer to you. I'm Batman. Why'd you open your bonghole, you smelly hippie? It's clobbering time. This is the men who look bad in spandex? That's disgusting. Are you seriously calling it that? What is up, Max? Hey, Steve-O, my man, what's up? Not a lot, man, how you doing? I'm good, man, just enjoying an evening, dude, you? Yeah, you know... Kind of the comic book shop, flipping through comic books. So yeah, I'm basically the same. Yeah, you know, <laughs> every man has his own paradise. I, you know, I mean that's true. It goes through ways, but that's true. Yeah, you know, man. If I were, if I could pick one place to die, Steve, it'd probably be in your shop. <laughs> oh man, well, I mean, you know, that's good. And is that creepy? Disturbing. That's yeah. Sorry, <laughs> maybe a little too much there. Let me back it off. What did you think of Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantum Mania? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's a that's a left turn. Yeah, right. Uh, uh, you know, I, man, when it comes to the movie, you know, I liked it. I, I'll give you. I can see some of the there's some hate on the internet for it, and I don't know if that's just because it it finishes in a circle. So like the beginning and the end, we land in the same place for mm-hmm. the most part. But I thought it was pretty good. It was fun. Like Jonathan Majors kills it as, yeah. as Kang. Like yeah. that dude's he's he's great. Oh yeah. I feel like Paul Rudd does. I mean, I, all the actors do a good job. I mean, our new uh, Cassie does fine. I, I do wish he would have been a little more like. I guess if there's if there's any one criticism really, I, I wish that when she was. After everything is transpiring in the middle of the mix of things, and she's like, "This is all my fault. This is all my fault," and he's just like, "As a good father, he says, yeah, it's true.' You know, you know, he didn't say that. He says, "It'll be okay. It'll be okay. It'll be okay." But what I really wish he would have said is, "Yeah, it is your fault, <laughs> but now we're going to fix it. It'll be fine." Because she needs to learn, right? It's one of those steps in life that, yeah, this is all happening because you're. You decided to turn on a machine without asking the smart people in the room first. Well, you built a machine to go to the quantum universe without asking any questions. So, like, your your de- device you and Grandpa built together, while it's fine playing with your Grandpa and, you know, having some fun, you know, learning time or whatever, the two of you did stuff you were expressly told not to do by somebody else and then didn't bother to ask why. You just did it anyway. Yeah, I... So like, okay. I appreciate your your discourse on accountability in, in human beings, Steve. First of all, great life lesson. <laughs> Second of all, I wish Paul Rudd was my father. Oh my gosh, right? Yeah. <laughs> he's so giving and cool about things just in general, which is bizarre. But I guess, I mean, you know, he's had one of those pasts that he's also a crusader, even, you know, if at the time her daughter couldn't see that. I mean, the whole reason he was in prison when she was a kid is for stealing money from a corporation that was evil to try to expose the evil corporation. Now, granted, I mean, he was stealing in the middle, but... As a thing, it was a crusader movement, not just a still-for-myself movement. Yeah, so. yeah. No, I mean, the altruism that exists within Paul uh, Paul Rudd, Scott Lang's uh, character arc, it's there. I don't think you can root for him as a bad guy. You never do. You're more of a, he's more of a anti-hero, lovable scamp that becomes an integral part of a, something a lot bigger than him. 
Definitely. I, th- I think Ant-Man's character arc, outside of Captain America and Iron Man, uh, Chris Evans and uh, RDJ, he's probably one of the best developed, even more so than Thor. Uh, and Chris Hemsworth, I-, I really enjoy. I didn't enjoy Thor's character arc after Ragnarok. I really enjoyed, uh, absolutely loved what happened to Ant-Man pretty much throughout all four films. Um, no, sorry, three films. Thor's good. I'm not. I'm not... Dis in Thor's appearance in uh, Endgame or uh, Infinity War. I'm just saying, uh, Love and Thunder, I think, was a lot more disappointing than Quantumania was. And I, I don't know if uh, Taika Waititi and uh, everybody who was in charge of that really knew what Thor was going to do after Endgame. And, you know, maybe it's a product of not knowing where Marvel wanted to go, maybe adding too much comedic elements without injecting real brevity and storyline like they did in Ragnarok. Yeah, but if there's one outside of the two big ones, the two main ones, and I don't know how you feel about it as far as character arcs go, uh, yeah, probably my favorite. Right. Well, when it comes to past and things, I mean, yeah, I, and we've talked about it before in other episodes, you know, the weird things in Love and Thunder that just don't pay off, and whether it was Taika just trying to parody himself or became a parody himself by mistake, maybe, it's hard to really say for sure, but uh, I mean, there's so many great things in the in the movie for for Ant Man and the Wasp, this Quantum Media movie. They're just regular guy moments, and I I'll give you, I guess maybe some fans aren't necessarily there for that, but that's what Scott is. I mean, he's he's a dude, and I, that's one of my favorite parts of the movie. And this is gonna be spoilery, so whoever's listening, I'm real sorry about that because that's what's about to happen. I mean, there's a point where. Where King sees Giant Scott Lang and he's like, "We had a deal," and he just comes to wreck stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And you see King's face with fear, but the entire movie up until that point, he treats Ant Man like he doesn't matter at all. Which one of you are you? The one with the hammer? Yeah, Did I kill you before. I love that. That's a great line. It's it is. It's beautiful. I mean, that's even in the trailer, so that's not really spoilery. But like throughout the entire movie, up until that one point. The every man didn't matter to him at all. And then at that point, he's like, oh, no, I made a mistake. Yeah. And it's great. Like, mm-hmm. it, just, it just shows in his face that he's like, are you serious, this guy again? <laughs> oh, my God. Do you think any of the negative publicity that this movie is getting is merited? <sighs> you know, people want to point at everything and look for tropes or look for things that throw eggs at I'm, no, not really. I mean, we need a diverse cast of people live in the microverse, and if you want to say they're all tropes for everything, then, I mean, I guess maybe they, maybe they are. I don't know. Did I think that while I was watching it? Nope. I was thoroughly, not at all. I thoroughly enjoyed the entire movie front to back. And, yeah, and you've pointed out on this podcast before that Hollywood loves circles. Uh, I think everybody loves circles. I, it was a classic movie. There was so much classic elements to a movie that knew what it's doing. It was almost like... Not a superhero movie. It's almost like an action movie within the super, uh, the superhero universe because of oh, yeah. you know the establishment, uh, you know the three act arc, the climax, and all of that great stuff uh, of what makes a good story. And it was very starkly laid out there. You know, maybe the expectations are just too high for the the critical public, right? The the people who are paid to write those terrible things about the people we love in uniform. Yeah, I mean that might be part of it too. That we're just, ex- they're just expecting too much on a critic level. I mean, if if you go into it expecting another in-game, 
we you got to remember this is as a franchise standing. This is actually only a sequel because Ant Man is one movie. Ant Man and the Wasp. I mean, it's a second Ant Man movie, but it's Ant Man and the Wasp. So this really is only a second movie as Ant Man and the Wasp. Even if it's not, it's still it's a third movie at best, and that means you got to go back to Iron Man three. You want to compare it to something? You got to go back to well, either Iron Man two or Iron Man three. You got to go back to <laughs> I guess if you have a story, then you look at Dark World. Ooh. So in comparison of movies, you can't you can't look at it the same way that you look at Endgame and say, oh well, this wasn't a ten year epic with every character in it doing everything and amazing. And then be mad because the two things are entirely different things. I mean, this is the first leg of our fifth phase of Marvel build. So this is like chapter one. Now I'll give you that this, it does end in a circle, right? But the credit catches give us enough to at least have an idea where we're going. Sort of. Well, which is why it should be great. This is why I was excited about today's episode, Steve, because we had a, a good discussion here, kind of on the nature of the movies, but also what they borrow from the comic books. I knew, going into this, 10 years or not, that eventually this grand plan that Marvel had would reflect more of what the comic book world is, just because they're based on those serialized ideas versus some sort of regular Hollywood franchise, trilogy, four-part movie that doesn't need to be four parts. I mean, I love Lord of the Rings. I certainly do. I mean, I'll, I'd watch The Hunger Games. I, I'll even admit to you, Steve, that I watched Twilight. You know, I did. And none of those needed to be four movies. But eventually, if you take something on like this, and you do it, and it's successful, and then you create expectations, and this is where comic book fans probably know exactly what I'm talking about, there will be moments of pure exposition. You will just have vehicles that move your story forward because you are writing serialized mediums. You are taking things and continuing their storyline out into infinity. Pardon the pun. You are doing that with these characters that they love, with those moments and instances that they love, the conflicts that they enjoy. Now, this is my problem with the general casual public. They might not be aware of that or have the wherewithal as far as attention span or even care in the world to do that. You know, it's it's the idea of exactly what a comic book becomes. You can't tell a story like this without moments of exposition. And you've seen it done really, really well throughout the MCU's history, man. You've seen it done super spectacular in a lot of movies, as not only do they push the narrative of the overall idea forward, but the character development is really good. Now, I didn't think that Ant-Man and the Wasp lacked any of these things. I think you're absolutely right. Insecuring Scott Lang's more serious position as a real hero is fantastic. You've set up things for the Young Avengers with Cassie Lang. Um, and you've even taken the time, uh, and this is so bizarre, I don't know why they did this, for, for, for Hope Van Dyne to to become the, you know, <laughs> the beneficiary of society, or I should say the goodwill ambassador, the the anti-Tony Stark in the MCU, as she takes the Pym Industries and creates all these things, you know? And, and that was, that is what you're going to get. 
you're totally going to take that idea. And I understand Evangeline Lilly might not line up with your beliefs, and that's kind of interesting that she would do that on screen versus who she is in real life. But you're talking about characters, man, and you're talking about characters that are going to exist whether you pay attention to them or not. Now these these comic book notions, man, they're starting to creep into the MCU. Steve, is that why we're getting the negativity? Is that why these moviegoers, these movie pundits, these people who enjoy these types of entertainment, that's why they're saying these things about it as far as like a Rotten Tomatoes score or what the hell have you? Well, maybe. And then that's another thing you look at, too, when you look at the scores from your uh, audience versus your uh, Rotten Tomatoes because they do both, and the scores don't exactly line up. So, like, people's like for something versus what the critics have said about it don't entirely match. And that might it might be part of that, that the storytelling style is more of a comic book storytelling style. And that doesn't sit well for everyone. I mean, some people have to read things in trade paperbacks, otherwise they can't get around the idea of it. And individuals, day-to-day, month-to-month books don't work for them because of the ease of attention span or because the hallmark of the story just isn't built that way in a way that they they can digest it, which, I mean, is fine. Read stuff, how you have to read stuff. I mean, it is what it is, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's why, straight, that's why streaming TV has become a thing the way it is, because there's a whole lot of folks that can't bear the idea of, you know, oh, wait, i got to wait another week to get the last episode. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Which, back in the day, that used to be the only way you could get it. So, for those of you that are young enough to not have any clue, that's how TV used to be. <laughs> it, it did. Like, you had your one time to tune in, and because nothing was streaming, if you missed that episode, you were stuck hearing about it at lunch the next day at school, or at work, you know, around the office water cooler. So, you could try to catch yourself up, because reruns were going to be two years away. And the idea of it coming out on disc or collected season was a, uh, a hallmark of if it hits indication. So, uh, you know, maybe you never see it again. And the way the world is designed now, that is not the same thing at all. So is that good and be- good or bad? I mean, for some things, it's great. Sure, you know, is is whatever it was. I mean, when I miss an episode of whatever and I can go back and watch two episodes before it, then catch myself back up, that's fantastic. I mean, at this point, I've only seen a couple episodes of, uh, oh, gosh, what's the new one with Diego, not Diego, Luna. The, the, last the, the Last yeah, of Us. The Last of Us. I like how you knew what I was talking about, even though I said the wrong name. Pedro, Pedro Pascal. That's the guy I was looking for. Although Diego <laughs> Luna does, I, I can see where your mix-up happened there, brother. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the guys, they're not, they're not copper copies by any means, but they have a similar hallmark about them. But yeah, Last of Us. So I've seen um, the first three episodes, so I'm behind by a couple. But at this point, I can go back and watch them, so... I'm not begrudging the situation the way it is now, the world, the way it's shaped. But when it comes to, like, mentality for movies and comic books, I feel like when the first movie happened with this whole start, when Iron Man popped, because it was something that was uncharted. And, yeah, back before that, the hallmark was like, we get one Batman movie every five years, and we all hold our breath if it's any good. And then it happens, and usually go home and say, well, yeah, you know. Or Superman or whatever. I mean, when it comes to movies, if you want to dial back all the way to the 80s with the Marvel movies, there's two other Captain America movies you can watch. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you can watch them. So, weren't they made in that. Canada? Dude, weren't those made oh. in Canada? Oh, my God. Those were so bad. They were good. I, 
you know, Marvel's had a long history of creating these types of things. I mean, right. I don't know. You figure someone who's conditioned to watch, uh, you know, the Incredible Hulk that featured Lou Ferrigno. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, good you, stuff, man. Yeah, it was good stuff. Like, yeah, that that show was great. I mean, yeah, yeah, that show was great. The Bruce Banner show. I mean, with Lou Ferrigno and Bill Bixby, and then the classic closing credits. I, I you know, I don't know. Oh yeah. You know, I, maybe this oh, is yeah. why, though, Steve. Sometimes I don't feel like a part of the human race because I, I felt like you've been conditioned. <laughs> We've been conditioned for a long time to appreciate this type of storytelling, and then all of a sudden it's not delivering instant gratification for you, or maybe you're tired of sitting through, you know. All of the credits. Maybe you get tired of reading Marvel's laundry list of VX artists, and you're like, "Oh man, this is not delivering." I, what, do, what do people want? What do people want? I mean, and this is a question that all entertainers ask themselves, right? I mean, that's true. I think the hallmark of the two two credit catches now is simply because of that. They're like, "Oh, they're gonna leave before the last one happens. We'll put one in the middle," and then the director says, "Does it have to be two?" and we say, yes, Ryan Coogler, there should be. He's like, oh, I'm only doing one. Yeah, that's what you get. I'm like, well, that's disappointing. All right. Whatever, guy. Your Black Panther movie is fine. It's not, I'm not, you know, talk bad about the movie, just saying that, you know, it's what it is. Yeah. Yeah, I, that may very well be the shape of it, that because of the style of storytelling, and, and I know there's a handful of people that are still, you know, up in arms about the She-Hulk and the, Miss Marvel, and, and as a thing, I mean, we've we've talked about it. It's they're designed differently because they're looking for a different audience. And as a thing, there are some people that love them, and I like she Oak just fine. And people say, "Are you serious?" And I'm like, hmm, "Yep, weird," but it's not necessarily designed the same way as other shows. Because I have a handful of other folks that are like, "Oh, I really like that." That are not normal Marvel people. Mm-hmm. One, of, one of my friends out in California, she's very. Uh, She's very supernatural and very, uh, the show, supernatural, and very Doctor Who. Oh, thank you um, for, oh, wow. I was like, was she burning sage? You know, she's throwing yeah, chicken yeah. bones and telling you your fortune, big guy? Is that what it is? No, right, okay, no, now no. I know. That's Jensen, what I'm trying to clarify. Jensen <laughs> Ackles. And, yeah, Jensen Ackles and Jared Padalecki. Give me some, give me some more hotness, baby. Woo! Right. Those, those are the two. I can see that why people like Supernatural, that. not yeah. necessarily the... Yeah. Witchy hocus pocus kind. Hey, maybe she. You know, <laughs> that's what happens when you graduate from Charmed, right? You go straight to Supernatural. Is that the deal? I don't. I don't know. I'm not into mm-hmm. witches. Uh, you know, I, I do not. I'm not sure. And I, I did watch a fair amount of that show actually, and I do. I did like the majority of it. Now, granted, I, I didn't stay tight till the end of it when they finally wrap up the show. But I mean, as far as the thing, most most of the Supernatural, the first two or three seasons are just fantastic. Like they. Monster tropes they mix and match, and the pieces they take from like a real, real lore of other things in the world was really done pretty well. And I'll give you part of it, you know, as the ladies at the Beefcake Show. But you know, when we get to their dad, and he's Batman's dad, and I think that's awesome. Oh, and he's Negan, that's right, because he's fantastic. So like, I do like that show kind of a lot. But whenever those shows, like at this point, of course, Supernatural is on its course, and it's it's a uh, Supposedly getting another season of some type with something different going on with maybe just one of the brothers, I guess. But that doesn't matter because it's not happening yet. Anyhow, point to the story. Those are things she was very about. And now that Supernatural is no longer a thing, she had room in her world for another show. And uh, she loved She-Hulk, like, so much. And I don't ever really remember her being like, I hate Marvel stuff. But I, I don't remember her ever being like, this is my jam. 
and now it kind of is. So is she the best example? I mean, no, probably not. But as a thing, the design was built a certain way for a reason. Now, is that the right reason? Because I've talked to plenty of people that are like, well, if you just turn off your old fans, and are they going to keep coming back? And my brain said, well, did you go watch Ant-Man? Did you go watch Thor? Then yes, you're going to keep coming back. Mm -hmm. And for those of us that, again, grew up in the past, where we had one Batman movie every five years, then yeah, because the world it is right now, even if they're bad, they're still kind of okay. It's just like Star Wars, even if it's bad Star Wars, at least it's Star Wars, so that's awesome. Yeah, and that's something you and I can probably always fall back on, especially when it comes to rubbing critics' faces in it. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know. How how many pin particles out of five do you get it, man? Do you give it? Four? Three? <laughs> three and a half? Yeah, you know, I, I, I would say four. Four. I mean, the, the only things, like I said, the only pieces that I, the only thing I, that's a real criticism about what actually happened in the movie is, is I wish the lesson would have been driven home a little bit harder with dialogue in the daughter. Not that it's not there, but that the choices she was making that was causing things to happen. And it wasn't just about that, because she's being kind of rambunctious all around, getting arrested and all the stuff she was doing, which is not bad things, really. I mean, protests, whatever protests you believe in, fly your flag, it's whatever. But when you're making those decisions, you have to look at both sides of it. And I think if that hallmark was there a little harder, I would have liked it better. That's just me being nitpicky. The only thing that, that didn't happen in the movie that I wish would have happened in the movie is we got no Luis, and I'm super disappointed. Good point. Michael, no Luis, Michael Pena. No Dave. Michael I mean, Pena we so technically good. have the Russian guy because he's the voice of the thing, the whole, the I have holes, light, whatever that yeah, guy is light face, the light face guy, the yellow cannon head. Yeah, the little the little guy who made you, you drink oh, no, the you goo. understand everybody's language. The goo. The goo guy. I can't yeah. remember what his name is. Oh, yeah. man. Goop is so good. So good. He's got <laughs> holes. That revelation of how he has many holes was was very funny. I enjoyed the Quantum Realm. I thought it was well done. I mean, I, I, I agree with you. I would give it probably three and a half pin particles out of five simply because it was more about exposition than rather cementing. Uh, a character. It did its job in creating, you know, movement across uh, the Ant-Man story arc. Wasp, not so much. Uh, I could have used more Cassie as well, kind of like you're talking about, maybe something more fleshed out as far as what she's doing and why she's doing it. I mean, as far as runtimes go, it's definitely a shorter shorter entry into the uh, usual <laughs> uh, Homerisk epics that they put out there as far as runtimes go. Um, and that was great too. Uh, Jonathan Majors is really good. I think he's quite an actor. <laughs> did they do oh, Kang? Yeah. Did they do Kang a disservice though with starting him so small? I'm, I want to say, because this of course is a big spoiler with the end uh, credits in mind, I, I want to say, I mean, that you could tell a whole bunch of movies, Steve. You could make a whole bunch of movies with variations of Kang and then bring them back. I, is he a big bad at this point? Does the audience understand he's a big bad? I get it. At the end, we're kind of given that unifying moment, that coalescing coalescence of you know the, the ultimate evil. But I mean, he, how, how do you take him seriously? Maybe maybe Marvel doesn't want you to take him seriously right now, especially if he's beaten by Ant Man. Well, I think that's part of the shape. I mean, we got we if we look at Kang as he is right now in the universe, the ones that have died provided 
this version of him from Ant-Man, the Quantumanian, is actually dead. Which if David Cross, a normal dude, can get shrunk, smashed inside of his mask, come out as a weird baby-shaped version of himself, and manage to be a weird version of MODOK, I'm saying that Kang's not dead. But as a thing, let's just hallmark it for a second and say that he is. And uh, if that's the case, the only two Kings we've actually dealt with in the movies so far have been the good ones. Yeah, the ones that are doing it. That are doing it out of altruism, out of, you know, wanting to make the universe a place that makes sense. Exactly. And if they're the good ones, how bad are the bad ones? Because they're pretty bad. But when you say the audience, do they understand that yet? I don't think so, but I don't think you're supposed to. I think it's going to be a build. And, like, there's another fellow that I talk to quite often. And he's like... uh, King's not that big a bad guy. And I'm like, well, I mean, you got to look at him over time. He's like, nah. I'm like, come on, dude. Because he's no Thanos. And I'm like, well, as a thing, that's, I mean, that's true. But he's the type that goes around you and rewrites history and causes so many different things to change. I mean, the guy's been around since forever because of time travel. And he has no qualms about destroying entire civilizations. I mean, depending on which version of the books you read, the amount of topless civilizations that we look at right now in archaeology days could all have been because Cain was done with them. <laughs> and then we get to us. I mean, Frighting. It's just a matter of, of pacing on it. And then he has no qualms or thoughts about it. What's he, or not thoughts. He's got no, what do you call that when you feel bad about doing things? Reservations? No, that's something different, but that's kind of what I mean. A moral compass? Because reservations. I mean, yeah, moral compass. He's got he's got no qualms. There we go. Qualms is what I wanted, which was a band. Anyway, he's got no qualm with destroying an entire Timelines. entire group right. of people yep. without entire timelines too, without any second thought to it. I mean, he wiped those people out. Doesn't care. I mean, even the good ones feel that way. So the bad ones, they're just worse. Well, now are they scary as Thanos? Okay, I mean, he's not as big as Thanos size wise. True. Uh, you know, Steve, it's a, it's a good point. I mean, the menace that Thanos uh, ex- excluded, I think Kang lacks. And you're right. You point out some really great, uh, you know, sticking points for making Kang the big bad that he's going to be over the next few years. Now, is that going to be a weakness or is that going to be a strength as we look and get excited for new variations of Kang? Or does it just sow more confusion as people who are going to watch the Loki season two say, who the hell is Victor Timely? And then anybody else who comes in to whatever part of the MCU they do, you know, depending on what they do with, geez, all the TV they've got planned, um, right. the Avengers movies they got planned, what what becomes of the the viewing audience's notion of that villain. Thanos is very concrete. Thanos is very fine, uh, very infinite. He even says it, and he embodies what he says when he tells you that he's inevitable, and you believe him when he says that. Do people believe Kang if he says that, or does Kang just simply go back in time and erase you if you don't believe him if he says that? And can audiences take that seriously? It's like the idea of the time heist, and all of those great moments in Endgame where they're basically debunking your favorite time travel theories from your favorite movies. Now, does that delve into the absurd because you're simply thinking about 
one person, multiple timelines coming together to create an empire that they rule by themselves or with their variants or, or whatever, whatever is going to make sense after it's all said and done. I mean, I hope so. I mean, I, as much as I like time travel willy-nilly, because I do, one of my one of my biggest peeves about the in-game and the Infinity War is that they break their own rules about time travel, and that just drives me nuts. So, like, as a thing, I, I, have, a, I have a hard time with their hallmark of how time travel really works. But I'd hope that Loki Season 2 would iron some of that out, and being that he's a character that best we can tell the time bureau has been aware of but had no idea what he was doing or how he was connected i mean up until the restart with loki coming back to the timeline or to the bureau we had the three heads that were robot heads and none of them were aware of king at all right once he returns of course that's been replaced and now we're dealing with just one king so different uh shape of the universe I mean, I hope so. I mean, you do run the possibility to play devil's advocate. You do run the possibility of, didn't we kill that guy last movie? Right. Why is that guy back again? Exactly. And if we do five or six movies where we continue to dumpster fire him, that he, does he wear off his? Uh, does he wear off his shock and awe? I, you know, I'm going to say it's a very good possibility. Okay. Um, I, not because I think Jonathan Majors will in any way will slip as far as a thing, but. Once he's the same bad guy so many times, it was just like, you know, I'm trying to think of a hallmark that would make sense. So, like, let's take Lex Luthor. Yeah. So, Lex Luthor is in all TV form, movie form, whatever. It includes the animated cartoons. We've had so many versions of Lex Luthor that when you get to, it's it's a a bad example. Because when you get to the last one with Eisenberg, you're like, really? This is Lex Luthor? (laughs) But that's because Jesse should have never been cast. That's not his fault. I mean, it's, it's just he should never play that part as a thing. And they're going to sell it as Lex Luthor Jr. You need to have pictures of regular Lex around to make that work. Mm-hmm. And since they never did any of that, it just didn't set up and, and land well. So let's rewind before him and go to Kevin Spacey. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, Kevin's got a different hallmark in the world now than he did then. Well, yes. But at the time, I feel like he did a pretty good job playing the part of Lex Luthor. But when the movie came out, people said, oh, it's Lex Luthor again. And he's land grabby again. Now that's because that movie connects to the other movies, so there is a reason for that. Mm-hmm. But in the step of things, when you look at the same bad guy over and over again, all these are played by different dudes. I mean, you even have the one from Supergirl, and even whether he's better in Pretty Pink as Ducky or not, doesn't doesn't change that he did a pretty good job as Lex Luthor. But again, with Lex being the same bad guy over and over and over again, if we're using... Jonathan, and he plays the same part over again, whether he looks like the zombie version of himself or or not, or whether he's Ramotet. I think Ramotep will sit different because his costume's so different, and at least the four they show us his main ones are drastically different in costume, that I'm hoping we don't have that same problem. And as long as they're from different time frames enough, I mean, even if you're just a nuance to, to this situation, say you didn't see him, and you didn't see Loki... He should seem like a brand new bad guy, but I mean, yeah. With, with your question, is he is he one that will, who because it rinse and repeat, wear out? Right. I mean, maybe, maybe. I mean, I'd hope not. And when it comes to like King stories, there really isn't. I mean, there's there's a whole handful of them that spread throughout the Avengers books, 
and we got a batch of newer ones where we go with you know the Iron Lad version of him. And it's not that there isn't material off there; just it's not as deep a material. And even when King Saga happened, I don't remember it ever being as big as Infinity War. No, and not even Infinity War because Infinity War is the wrong title. Like Infinity Gauntlet, yeah, in the comic books was was absolutely huge. Mm-hmm. And then that led to two other things, and the two other things were both huge, whether they were both good or not, is you know to argue about. But well, I mean, as far as the namesake, they they picked the right name because Infinity Gauntlet, as a movie name, I'm gonna say is confusing. Infinity War makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Infinity Crusade, well, without the war, you can't have the crusade. So I mean, titling they picked the right title. Yeah. Um, but as a thing, it's a hallmark in books. It's huge. When I say King King Saga or King Dynasty. It didn't lead to King Dynasty two. No, it didn't. No, that leads to the second, you know, second era of King. Right. It didn't. Well, I mean, in the books, that's kind of, and this is why I have my reservations. And trust me, it's not because of Jonathan Major's ability. We have seen the man with the presence that he has. It, it's it's pretty big. I mean, on screen, he chews scenery, and it's it's fun to watch, and he exudes that villain archetype. But Kang's use, and you know this in the books, has been almost, instead of an Infinity Stone or a Cosmic Cube or an Ultimate Nullifier, Kang himself is the MacGuffin that allows Marvel and its you know artists and writers that make up its universe to go back and forward and place things here and there and kind of just... Because it's time. It's the wonky idea that we have uh, of time that that's what Kang is simply because he has that technology. And, and you're right. I'm not afraid of a man who has 31st century technology, probably as much as I should be versus, you know, a, a nightmare version of Grimace from McDonald's in the eighties, man, that right there, that that's a lot more tangible than the time travel concept. I mean, just Kang, and, and you know, you go to Young Avengers, New Avengers, all of that stuff. Whenever Kang is introduced, it's usually on a very epic scale uh, mul- involving multiple people because they either need to retcon things or they need to um, maybe reset something, like a timeline, pardon, you know, to get even more obvious. Or, you know, it's like the Iron, right. Lad, the Iron Lad thing or, you know, even... The original version of him, I mean, gosh, even in Infinity Crusade and Infinity War, he was relegated to just a power-hungry Doctor Doom uh, equivalent who was, you know, not even close to the range of Adam Warlock or the Magus or Thanos in the first place. I mean, that's, that's, I guess that's my big concern with Kang as the overall arching villain. I mean, nothing against Jonathan Majors, but man, can people keep the tone of how ominous he is throughout all these iterations. And I loved him. I loved the cutscene. I absolutely loved it at the end, the second post credit scene. It was fantastic. I was going to ask you, who's the dude with all the, the wires and the sparkly lights? I know I saw Ramatut and I saw Popa Mortis. Who is the third one? Do you know? Not by memory, I don't. Okay. Yeah, when they first showed him, when they first popped up in that group... I'm not, I'm not sure which one that's supposed to be, because I mean we've had a couple future, we've even had two Iron Lads at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, when it comes to Kings, I think there's twenty. Well, 
by memory, there's 26 that mattered as far as namesakes. But of the group of them, the ones that were the biggest was that initial group we saw. But yeah, the sparkly one, I'm not sure which one he's supposed to be. I, I just don't remember enough to know that. That's a, that's more of a Google question because I don't remember. Yeah. I mean, is it going to, like you said, are we going to get caught in the wash? Are we going to not care which one we're talking about? Are we just going to get totally confused trying to keep up with that? I guess I mean time. Time will tell. Time will tell. God, I'm on. I'm on these puns today, Steve. I'm on these puns. Time will tell. God, somebody should pay me for this. I don't think. I mean, I'm. I'm hoping that they're different enough that we don't have to. Uh, that is not too crazy. But I mean, it, it, like you said, only time will tell, which is super hilarious. Oh, thanks, buddy. Um, so like. It, but when it comes to the stack of them, we see a whole bunch of different little ones, a whole bunch of them in that scene that are, I don't know, I, I would say were sea level ones. And I, I'm trying to remember the name of that guy, and I can't, I can't remember what version of him that is. I thought it might come back to what I was thinking about it, but it's definitely not happening. Um, yeah, you, as far as the, the wear out of him, I'm hoping not, and I'm hoping that when we get to the other movies and the other versions of him, that they're different enough in presentation that they don't hallmark too heavily of the same and just repeat. Because if he's constantly throwing punches with dudes and that's what leads to his end in every one of them, it'll be, it'll be unfortunate. Um, Indeed. So I, I guess we'll see. I mean, I don't, I, the hallmark of things is usually Kang beats Kang. Yeah, it is. Even, even in this one, I mean, I guess in this particular movie, it wasn't so much Kang beating Kang as you know, King not realizing that eventually that Ant-Man was willing to sacrifice himself, which is something that also that character can't understand because yeah. he's not willing to sacrifice himself. Yeah. Well, I mean... So it's that duality of the normal man again. And even King, outside of that idea, I mean, he always has an out. Thanos was... Um, he didn't, right? He had a, an ultimate goal. Yeah. 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 And, but, like, King can quit... Anytime he wants, he can retreat any anytime he likes, as long as he has obviously the technology available, um, and he can go and disappear and not be anything to anybody for as long as the people who are in charge want him to be. So there are, and it, it, it's tough. I know it's tough to narrate a story arc like this, but yeah, I mean, I thought it was a great setup. I thought it was a nice, like, little, oh, here, here we go. I mean, I thought it was a great little wheel turner for the next phase of Marvel. But, you know, I mean, it's it's hard to keep people happy, man. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's it'll be all. Because if you look at look at it that way, I mean, our, our bad guy, King from Loki and from Ant-Man, we've gone through two of them so far. And I mean, like I was saying earlier, if they're both the good ones, then that doesn't bode well for everything else. But... Like when Rambo attacks the one from Egypt, and his look is so drastically different. And yeah, we'll just have to see. I, I don't feel like he's a bad choice only because you can do so many different things with him. But you're right, a madman respinning the universe at his whim versus a megalomaniac that's, you know, physically imposing are two different things. So. I mean, I guess we'll see, right? I don't, I don't think it was a bad, ad, out, bad outing. I mean, I thought the movie was fun. I enjoyed watching it. So I don't feel like they broke any of their own rules while they were doing things. So that's pretty big with me. 
Yeah, I mean, I like it. As, as somebody, well, as somebody who knows how comic books uh, are, you know, kind of patterned and the idea of tune in next month. I mean, it goes back to when Batman was put on TV in the 1940s, man. I mean, the serialized nature of that is something you should learn to accept. I mean, if I was going to give someone advice when watching the MCU, but yeah, we'll, we'll see if it's still, I, I don't think it'll be nearly as big as the first uh, four phases where I don't, as the infinity war saga. And that's granted, obviously when you break new ground, and you trailblaze, you're going to create so many, you know, lasting moments. But, you know, you try to do right. it, you try to do it again, you know, capturing lightning in a bottle, Steve, you know that saying. It's 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 almost impossible. We'll see where it goes from there, you know. Yeah. I mean that's all we can do is really wait and see what happens. But yeah. I mean I don't feel like he's a bad bad guy to pick at. It'll be interesting to see how Guardian shakes out and if it has any effect, anything to do with this literally at all or not. Um, but yeah, I mean, as far as phases moving forward, I, I like we've talked about before, I think we're heading eventually to a version of Young Avengers. And yeah. I feel like this being the first outing for our Cassie as a superhero type went pretty okay. I mean... yeah. Everybody else has been, I mean, the only one that's had any longer or more material presented would be Hawkeye. And Kate, mm -hmm. as Hawkeye, has a whole TV show she shares with another Hawkeye. Yeah. So she's had the most, like, actual development as a standalone character, considering that with Cassie, we've had her as a five-year-old. or How old is she at her birthday party? Oh, man. Ten? Six or seven? Yeah. yeah. I don't remember. But, we, I mean, we've had her through multiple points in her life. And we've, you know, grown through different things with her as far as a character. But as far as this level character, this is the first time for it. Yeah. Uh, whereas Kate, we mean, like I said, we get all the Hawkeye. Right. And everybody else has been peppered in there in tiny little shades of things. Right. So whether they actually turn into that or not is is, is, is a good, good question. I mean, I think that's where they're heading still. But I don't think he'll be the bad guy in every movie. I mean, I think... When we come to the Thunderbolts, more likely we'll be dealing with either a version of Thunderbolt Ross or some other impending doom, not necessarily King the Conqueror. Gotcha. Um, just as a bad guy. So I don't think he's going to be the bad guy for every movie. If that's hopefully you don't worry about that. Cause no. I don't think that's going to be the case. I'll be excited to see it. I, I also don't want them to get lazy like they did with the idea of the ants and Hank Pym. I mean, <laughs> that was cool. It was cool. It was a little too convenient. Um, a little too convenient, but yeah, I'm, I'm, and that's the funny thing. And, and this is where we stand on the whole concept of time and time travel and manipulating it and multiverses. And, you know, I mean, <laughs> those ants were impressive, man, even after just being an afterthought in the beginning and then all of a sudden coming in to basically turn the tide. And I, I, I don't know. I don't know if you thought that was lazy. I thought it was a little lazy. I liked it. I mean, enjoyed Michael Douglas doing it and I just, you know. Well, give us one more shot at Hank being a yeah being a, pit, a pitfall hero. And when they talk about there being no ants in the microverse, and as soon as that was said, I was like, "There's ants in there. They all get sucked in the hole with with some <laughs> cool." So them being the MacGuffin, I mean that's that's Ant Man's thing. He either grows big or he uses ants to take you out. And this we got to use both. Mm -hmm. We didn't have to make Scott do both of them. So so I like it. Is it? Is it is it a pitfall or a MacGuffin? I mean, kind of. But 
it's kind of Ant-Man's main jam. So, like, I, I like that it's him that does it, not Scott. Right. Because then we get both guys using their their yeah. abilities in, in the way they hallmark in the comics. Because Scott used Ants, too, but not the same way Hank did. So, like, I thought that was kind of cool, especially since I had the two of them do it differently. Could there have been something bigger? I mean, I don't know. We could have got a little more Modoc, maybe. Is Modoc shortchanged? I mean, I don't, uh, I don't know. I, I like we put the bed there and cross because as soon as we went to the multiverse with the first trailer, I thought, or microverse, I thought, well, Darren's going to be there because he's not dead. Yes. This being what was the result of him, I was surprised by. <laughs> is it? Is it crazy? I mean, yeah, but Modoc is crazy. He is. A little it's, disturbing. He was great. He was great cannon fodder. Great uh, oh, comic sure. relief. Great comic relief. Well, yeah, and being relegated to that, I can't think... I can't think of any any better way to really use them, considering, I mean, if we're going to have another evil, evil, or evil organization, then, okay, I guess we lost one of their biggest things if we're doing Hive. But we've already dealt with the evil version of S.H.I.E.L.D. we dealt with HYDRA. So I think time in the world, if there's going to be anything with that, maybe we'll see it circle around with, say, Thunderbolts. And if we do, I, I doubt we'll aim at the same organization. But I also think we can get another version of Modoc back because I mean, again, if Kang wasn't sucked to death, and the same thing happens to him that happened to Darren, well, it's only a matter of time. Hmm. So yeah. you know, yeah. maybe. Yeah, you make some good points, Steve, my friend. That was that was beautiful. I figured we'd stay on uh, Ant Man, considering how big it was and how pivotal it was, not only to the sure. MCU as a whole, but. Also, um, kind of as we all grow and and learn and kind of figure out, because I mean, when the MCU came out, and I think you know this too, Steve, it, it completely revolutionized the way we entertain ourselves, not only via the big screen, the small screen, and kind of everything else, and creating a continually shared universe. Um, I mean, do we continue to evolve or do we get tired? And um, I'm very, very interested into seeing the kind of existential aspects. Of this, not just simply enjoying it as a fan, but also very much so when it comes to going, like, say, oh, okay, this is why people like this, this is why people don't, it worked, it doesn't, and, you know, seeing those kind of pitfalls as well as successes that the MCU puts out in the next five years. Sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, like, Hallmark for things, moving forward with stuff, that's only, I mean, the only thing we can really wait for, but as far as pieces, I mean, King stretches in a way that if if we finally get to the Fantastic Four, whenever we do, because that's in theory happening, right? Right. Well, I mean, he's connected to them, too. Mm -hmm. It's not like... Big time. Phase-wise, he can be relegated to one phase, and if we go that direction where we deal with him being the descendant of the descendant, then that's cool. And as far as feeding the the frenzy, I mean, I don't... No one... You can't make anybody happy ever. As far as... (laughs) Sorry, that's not the right way to say that. <laughs> it's okay. No, Steve, it's true. Happy. It's true. Oh, uh, you know, you know what I mean. I didn't say that quite right, but uh, <laughs> what I mean is you can't make everyone happy all the time. That's what I meant. <laughs> the first statement I mean is mostly true, just of me. But as a thing, uh, you're never going to please everyone with everything, and a hallmark of that again. I mean, we can relegate Star Wars to everything, so. As a, as a circle in the world, I'd have to assume. Well, I'm assume I have to hope that there's no people that are still about it. That it, Disney doesn't decide to unplug the the machine. And at this stage in the game, I think we're several more shifts before that would happen. 
So I don't think that's uh, I don't think we have to worry about that for a minute. I mean, when it comes to overload, I guess once we get to this year, we'll have I think this year we have the most superhero movies between the two companies coming out in one year. So maybe 2024, we'll have a better idea if people are fatigued or not. Because when it comes to movies, between the group of them, we have what nine? We're past just the first one. So if everything continues to come out in the same year, I mean, but DC's realignment of things, I mean, we're supposed to have Shazam, Blue, uh, Blue Beetle, Flashpoint. Then there's one more, and I can't remember what it is now. Mm. Uh, it doesn't matter. Anyway, as a thing, I mean, we'll, we'll see if the fatigue sets in or not. I think this year manages to get all the way through it. You could do any of the TV shows, but I feel like they're received totally different. They are. I don't feel like they have the same uh, hallmark as the movies. Well, well, we'll get there. It's like you said, we'll get there when we get there, man. That's a good point to remember. I mean, in in a world that loves instant gratification, as we've alluded to a lot this entire cast, it's it's going to be uh, a wait-and-see type of moment. And uh, is that wait-and-see enough to create the same success that they had? I mean, or do they not do it? And I'm excited to see how Flashpoint turns out. We'll probably have another like episode dedicated to that. And when it comes out, talk about it and see what the ramifications are for the shared universe. But again, you know, I mean, whatever happens there, that, that possibly could be garnering more interest than whatever the MCU has next, because it's almost like the zeitgeist that Iron Man was back in 2008. Everybody knows that no one, that no one around DC had their stuff together. Everyone knows that. So now, if they're beginning to see them come around with the James Gunn, Peter Safran, uh, you know, headed studio, maybe, maybe they migrate back and forth. Maybe comic book movies dominate American media and the rest of the worlds as well for the next 10, 15 years. Or maybe we get back to some traditional types of storytelling and we get out of that type of genre. And either way, I mean, it's, it's exciting uh, it's unknown, and it's always what makes, you know, talking about this type of thing and watching the type of thing fun, man. Let's talk about, though, what, what brings us all, you know, to these movies and more of the books, brother. Um, as we wrap up another great episode of The Men Who Look Bad in Space. That's the first time I said the title, man. <laughs> it's like the movies. When you watch a movie and you wait for them to say the title, the movie in the movie. Yeah, man. The Men Who Look Bad in Spanish. Yeah, so we're going to talk probably next next episode Steve I wanted to talk to you about you know kind of uh, an upcoming list of cons and the ones you'd recommend actually taking the time to go to because I know you've been to like almost every one but we also love to talk to you about new stuff coming out uh, as far as the books go stuff you can get at top five comics in the Hillcrest Plaza right off the corner of First and Orchard online at uh, Top 5 Comics on Facebook, Top 5 CB, Top Five Comics CBS on Instagram be sure you check in anytime you get the chance man um so what do you got your eyes on this week or this month as we turn over from February to March? Well, let's see. It's coming out this week. So depending when you listen to this brand new this month would be uh, Hallow's Eve, which is from Marvel. Um, so number one of that com- kind of comes out this week. And uh, Hallow's Eve is a, she's a relatively new villainous type character. Uh, showed up in issue 14 of uh, the most recent run of Amazing Spider-Man. Um, so that's her first appearance, whereas her first solo issue number one's coming out this week, and she's uh, goblin-flavored, as in she flies around a glider and sort of dresses like the hobgoblin, but she's got herself a set of magic masks that give her different abilities uh, that are all 
done up like Halloween masks. So a uh, ghost mask, a werewolf mask, a devil mask, a Frankenstein mask, and each of the different masks give her different abilities as she uses them to do criminal-type stuff, you know, robbery mostly. So it'll be interesting to see what her series winds up being about because the first issue it's going to drop, and while well, she had her first appearance already in the books, that's necessarily not necessarily what the story's going to be about. Um, but yeah, that thing looks really cool. Um, the character herself will be interesting to see how they iron out what the truth is about that. Um, but I think that'll be cool. So that's a new guy this week. Um, let's see what, there's something else that came out new this week that I thought was really cool. And now my brain's like, Nope. I thought I was going to come back to me while I was talking. I, I was just talking to somebody about it earlier today. Now, God, man, we'll switch gears. So DC has a brand new Superman series that just started. So new mm. number one for Superman. There we go. Uh, being written by Joshua Williamson, who I, I think is great. He's written a batch of other books. Uh, a book called uh, Birthright that was for Image. Ran about 40, I think 49, 40. Uh, it ran into the 40s um, before, the, before the series ended. And he took more forefront writing stuff like The Flash. Um, then he wrote another book that was called Nailbiter, also fantastic. Two great books from Image. Um, but yeah, so he's got a new Superman series that I just had a number one kickoff, so I think that's cool. Um, I thought the other one was going to come back to me. It just is not doing it. <sighs> that's super infuriating. Man, I can't, for the life of me, I can't remember what it was called. And I'm like, Archway, oh, Rogan Gambit. My gosh, how did I forget that? Okay. Rogan Gambit has a brand new, and I feel stupid now. <laughs> they have a brand new, brand new series that just started. So uh, your uh, romantic combo from the X-Men have a brand new series of books. Um, at this point, we it's not listed as a miniseries, but I guess we'll see. Uh, but anyway, there's a brand new number one of it out. The C- Cajun, his uh, lovely brown-haired with the white stripe uh, female lead, uh, running around doing X-Men stuff, so that should be pretty cool. Uh, as far as other things happening in the X-World, we have The Sins of Sinister happening, and it has a couple of side stories. One of those that's pretty new is Nightcrawlers, which is a jump to the future where Mr. Sinister, one of uh, the classic bad guys from the 80s and 90s, doesn't really do a lot, but now he is. Uh, has managed to mix match a bunch of Nightcrawler, her favorite band thing, Blue Demon. The best. Um, the absolutely not, best. Not really Demon, but you know. Way look. Oh, yeah. Um, they take about his DNA and mix it with a handful of other characters, including a Spider-Man, an X-23, Sabretooth, Toad, and a handful of others. And uh, Nightcrawlers is a mini-series dealing with those characters in the future that uh, we'll see how long we last there. But uh, for a first appearance, first book, pretty neat. It was pretty fun to read. So... Uh, I'd say that one's that one's pretty cool. If nothing else, it's a bunch of first parents of the characters, but whether even will survive out of it or not is a good question. But it's, it's really neat to see. I mean, the mixed match of them, like a Banffing Spider-Man, is awesome. I yeah. think that's pretty neat. That was kind of what brought me to Sins of Sinister in the first place. The... <laughs> The yeah, the dabbling, the the concept of genetics, and then kind of taking a great you know mishmash of your favorite X Men characters, some of your favorite Marvel characters, and and that's what I love about comic books: new new outfits, you know, new costumes, people coming back from the dead, amalgam <laughs> universes, multiversal you know iterations of characters. This is what makes comics good, and it's why I 
jumped on the chance to have you grab me, Sins of Sinister. Yeah. Well, another book that came out, it actually came out last week. This one's great. I got to read this yesterday. Um, so they're doing a batch of one-shot stories that are called One Bad Day. And this is a DC book. should have started with that. Um, and the One Bad Day series, they're all one-shot stories. They're, they're bigger books, so they're like, I don't know, compared to the regular comic books, I guess they'd say they'd be like three books bound into one sort of graphic novel. And uh, the new one this week is Clayface, and it's great. Like, it's really good. Um, plays a lot in his duality between trying to be a man and being un- unable to let certain things go, and that leads to death of people in Hollywood, so it's great. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it was awesome. Like, it was pretty. Excellent. Excellent, my friend. And, of course, everything uh, Steve talks about you can grab at Top 5 Comics. It's always there for you. If you're looking for something in particular, be sure you tell him. He'll go get it as well. Steve, it's always a pleasure, oh. man. Absolutely. All right, brother. Good stuff. Next next time. Till next time with the men who look bad in spandex. There, there you go, the title. Follow it on uh, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get yours, Apple Podcasts. We're all there, baby. If, you're, if you want to talk some comics, you know you know we'll talk some comics. It's, uh, it's the Magic 93.1 Men Who Look Bad in Spandex.